Welcome to the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'm your host, Gary Durbin. I've been a worship leader for over 20 years, and I've learned a lot from so many on this journey. On this podcast, we'll have conversations and explore the dynamics of leading worship in the local church. If you're like me and grew up in the church, you may have gone through a season where you were hurt or became disillusioned with the local church. Maybe you're a worship leader or church leader that's been burnt or burned out as you gave your blood, sweat, and tears to the ministry. Today, as you listen, I hope you are encouraged and inspired to stay. On this episode, I talk to Natalie Runyon, or as you may know her, the woman behind Raised to Stay. Natalie is a pastor's kid turned pastor, and she and her family live in Colorado Springs. She's on the staff at New Life Church as pastor of women and creative pastor of family ministry. Before that, she was a worship leader for 20 years in the local church. Recently, she started an impactful online community called Raised to Stay, and her very first book will release in 2023. So here's my conversation with Natalie Runyon. Well, hey, Natalie, thank you for coming on the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. How's it going out there in Colorado Springs? It is a snowy pre-Thanksgiving morning, and I'm in my pajamas still with my cup of coffee and uh, just loving life out here. <laughs> so you're thankful this is an audio podcast is what you're I'm saying. so thankful it's an audio podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you and I uh, connected in Nashville several years ago, and one thing I was thinking about with us is I feel like we have some parallels because you've been in worship ministry and ministry for a long time but was it like 20 years yeah 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 yes and then when i met you you were on your way from ohio to colorado and i was that year leaving colorado going to ohio so it was kind of this interesting crossing of paths so how how are you liking colorado as opposed to the the oh (laughs) Well, Ohio will always be home. You know, that's like where all of my childhood memories are in Cincinnati and uh, where most of our family still is in Northern Kentucky and Ohio. So of course I love to go back whenever I can. However, I do wake up to a window view of Pikes Peak Mountains every Mm. morning. So I can't, I can't complain. (laughs) No, no, it's a beautiful sight. So I lived in Denver for a few years at a church plant there And my favorite spot in Colorado was Colorado Springs. It's just so gorgeous. And Garden of the Gods was my jam for sure. Love, love that. Love that place. If you ever come visit, guys, we we love to give the tour of uh, Colorado Springs. So pretty, pretty country. So you've got a lot going on in your life. Some really cool things, a really broad spectrum of ministry. Mm -hmm. But you've also been a worship leader for a long time. So I always ask this question, what, what's like the craziest or most embarrassing moment you've had on stage? I think back to 2017 when we were interviewing, it comes a new life. So I was coming from Ohio to Colorado Springs. It was January of 2017. And it is altitude difference is massive. You know, we're a couple thousand feet up in comparison. And I had not factored in that that would affect me as a worship leader. Like I just thought I wouldn't be able to run. I don't run anyway, but I just assumed that I wouldn't be able 
to run. And I got here and I was learning all of New Life songs to be able to lead them for like auditioning that weekend. And um, I started singing at my tryout and I could not breathe. Like Mm -hmm. I couldn't sing in the key. I literally lost all ability Mm -hmm. to do the very thing that they had called me there to do. And so it was about a two day horror adventure for us. Thank God they saw my anointing and not my talent and I was hired, but yeah, like just the embarrassment of like getting on that platform. And if you've ever been to new life, it is just like this massive um, arena and to get up there and be so confident. And then just to like, have nothing, I had nothing. I had no voice. I had no Mm. um, range. I had no breath. And so, uh, yeah, I I really actually couldn't jump or do anything leading worship for like a year while my lungs were, um, so I do. And it's embarrassing like to be 40 years old and to be Mm. like, Oh yeah, no, I told you I did this for 20 years and now I, I can't do it at all. So anyway, thank you for seeing my anointing and not my my uh, out of breathness. <laughs> well, you know, my couple dad jokes is, you know, you just went to new heights and <laughs> leading worship. And in, in, in honestly, I, I don't know how I missed the opportunity to when I was in Colorado, because I had a similar experience, but just to sing like, this is the air I breathe. <laughs> it's no, you know, there's no air. There is no the, air to breathe. <laughs> the holy, the, the presence of the Lord is literally your only breath when you first moved to Colorado. <laughs> it's so real. And now I get why when, like we have Bethel or Jeep's culture or anybody come out here. There's like oxygen machines in the back of the um, green room. I get that now because um, it, it takes a good year to acclimate. <laughs> oh, so. definitely. And it's a guitar killer too. Acoustic guitar. Like my, my guitar got destroyed in Colorado because I, I didn't know how to humidify it properly. Dryness. So. Yeah. Oh, that's my funny. word. That's I get Botox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you were a ministry kid. I was a ministry kid growing up. How was growing up in ministry for you? You know, I often go back and I ask myself, was it worse than I thought? Was it better than I thought? You know, because nostalgia, it can be a liar sometimes. You know, we can gaslight ourselves into thinking it was better than it was or um, whatnot. But I really do believe it was it was like the best of times for me. And I I believe it was because my dad and my mom, they pastored really small churches. Everybody was family. We were never alone. Nobody was a stranger. It was my mom's hometown that we were in. And so everywhere we went, people knew my family, they trusted us. And so for the most part, up until my high school years, while I'm sure there was stuff my parents protected me from, I loved being in church. I loved revivals. I loved camp meetings. We ate, slept, and breathed every Wednesday, Sunday. I was in church camp every summer. There was just such a community that was around me um, that I think when I finally did experience some disillusionment with the church, it was devastating because of how much I loved the people. Sure. Um, Now, my sister grew up in the same house as me, and she would have a different story to tell. And so I think it's also important to know that like our experiences aren't everyone's experiences. Um, but for me, it, it was a blessing. And I think it's why I still hold on so closely to the church now. That's great. My dad was a music minister growing up. That was the old term for worship leader. Right. So how did growing up in ministry shape you as a worship leader? 
there was something about growing up in the Pentecostal church. It was multi-ethnic. It was um, a lot of choirs and a lot of sound. You know, you just, you couldn't escape the sound of, of the organs and the choirs. And it's what drew me in, in my early years as a Christian. I got saved at seven years old. And I remember being, in, you know, in that moment with Jesus. Mm-hmm. But music was always what brought me closer to him. And so when I was a little girl, I would sit on the front pew and I would watch the worship directors, their hands on the piano. I would I would watch the chords they were playing and I would listen to the harmonies and I would listen to the Gaithers and, and anybody in the Christian industry, Point of Grace, mm-hmm. who really just had that sound. And um, that is what drew me. Whenever I started to feel afraid or I felt um, unseen, or I felt far from the Lord, worship music is really what was my lifeline. And I didn't, you know, I wasn't like the best piano player. I learned to play the piano by just getting up on the platform when nobody else was available and banging out four chords. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was watching hands. I learned hand positioning. I learned numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was just my catalyst um, in how I fell in love with the people of God. When you heard people singing in harmony, there was something unified about that. And that's what I was drawn to. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that God and the power of music drew you, you know, that, that was, that's my story too. It's like, I can't hardly, I can't tangibly explain it, but that even that contemporary style that was coming around in the nineties, really strong, yeah. even though I was in a more of an old school church, there was something about it that just drew me. It was calling to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, that's definitely shaped me as well. So you were a worship leader in Ohio. Tell us about that. You're in Cincinnati area. Yeah. So I went to Miami university in Ohio, not Florida and got involved with campus crusade for Christ. And it was actually a gift that I went to a secular university. I, you know, I had a Jewish roommate. I had boys living on my floor, everything opposite of what I grew up in, in a Christian bubble as a pastor's kid found Campus Crusade for Christ and ended up leading worship for them. And I think that was really like the demarcation in my faith journey as an adult was, oh, no, I actually do really love being in a church environment. I really do love God's people, even though we're kind of messed up. And you obviously in college, you start to see how different we are as believers and the different backgrounds we have. And I graduated from college with a kinesiology degree and I was a teacher. I was bivocational for 10 years. So I would teach by day and lead worship by night and weekend. And because I was a pastor's kid in the city, I could lead worship anywhere. You know, I was like kind of like a traveling gypsy a little bit. My husband called it the getaway van. He'd have the girls in the car. And on Sunday mornings, there it was not unusual for me to be in three different churches on Sunday mornings, filling in for people if there were sabbaticals or gaps. And so Cincinnati was my safe place. It was the... um you know, I could, if I was still in Cincinnati, I could still be leading worship on a corner every weekend if I wanted. And that was just kind of what I thought I was going to do for the rest of my life. Uh, when I was 33, I was able to retire from teaching and I went full time into worship. And so I think that's also a testimony of God's timing. You know, not all of us come out of our young adult years and step into our 20s and we're handed a church of 2,000 people. Um, there are some of us that, we'll have to work at Starbucks and we will have to uh, do two or three jobs to be able to also do the thing God has called us to do. And, you know, I lived that for 10 years, you know, just that tension 
of wanting full-time ministry, but having to really um, do the bivocational piece. Right. So yeah, that tension you're talking about, and even even the even the comparison and perspective you have now, you were bivocational, then you were full time. Is there things that you? Is there anything you missed about being bivocational once you go went full time, or did you really? We were like, oh, I'm so glad I'm full time now. You know, I tell people in their twenties, and and maybe this is just my viewpoint, but I really believe that being bivocational in an industry that's not Christian you know, being in, in part of the world, being part of, you know, doing ministry in like a business environment or a school environment is actually a really healthy thing to do because so many times we have in our mind that the church is going to be this beautiful place that nobody's going to fight. Everybody's just going to be singing and dancing in the streets. And, you know, working bivocationally teaches us things that the church just isn't equipped to teach us. It teaches us um, how to sit in staff meetings with people that are not believers and, and to fight there and to learn how to have hard conversations and accountability that there are some things the church is still learning how to do well from a business aspect. And so when we are bivocational, we get this multidimensional view of not just ethics and how to be a hard worker and how to show up on time and how to have coworkers that disagree with us. But we're able to translate that into the church environment and really take what we've learned from, you know, professionals in all different fields into the church. And I honestly believe that I'm a better um, Christian and I am a better uh, minister because of what I learned being bivocational. So there is a benefit of that. I think the con is that when you really know what God has called you to do and you're chomping at the bit, patience is not a virtue. <laughs> you know what that. <laughs> And so I do think it takes a lot of self-control to sit in the presence of God and wait for him to give you the green light to step into that ultimate dream. Um, and there, that dream shifts as we grow and as we mature. Before I got into vocational ministry, I was doing ministry volunteer-wise and being at my job. And that's all I could think about. I'm at my job. I'm thinking about the ministry that I want to be doing and not being at this job. And I always tell people, you know, when you're at that point of life, if you're bivocational or a volunteer, that's a good indicator that God's calling you to something and that you have a passion for that. That's yeah. a great, great indicator. If you're okay with not doing that full time, that's probably an indicator. Hey, you're in the right spot and right. keep rolling with it. And it was hard because I was a gym teacher. So I was a gym teacher for kindergarten through eighth grade. And what I was finding myself doing is that during lesson planning times, I was doing set lists and I was writing lyrics and I was putting chord charts together and putting teams together. And I was feeling vibrant and alive doing that. Um, those are things that now in full-time ministry, we're like, can I please pay somebody else to do that? But at the time, I was just so grateful that the Lord had entrusted me to be in that space. And so I think it teaches us a lot about gratefulness and stewarding where we are well. I still had to be a good teacher. I still had to be a good employee. Um, and so really learning to, to balance that teaches us how to steward the things God has given us. Um, and I do think in our 20s, that is really what our job is, is to learn how to be good church workers, how to be good pastors, but ultimately how to be competent as a fellow coworker in the church, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, be faithful with a little before you're faithful yeah. with mu with much, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I'm at a stage now where I'm at a a larger church, 
and I have an incredible worship team. Like the talent is unbelievable. We had a we have a big worship night this Sunday night. We practiced eleven songs last night at rehearsal and got right through them. You know, just amazing talent. But that's not always been the case, you know, in my worship leader uh, years, you know, that I've been at smaller churches and there's a beauty in those years, you know? So, and I, and I know you've experienced the same thing. So I, I try to always remind myself, even at this stage that, Hey, it's not always just about having the bigness. Uh, yeah. God is the power and it's, you know, whether it's small or whether it's big. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's good. It's easy to look at what other churches are doing and compare and contrast. Oh where man. We- my friend Travis Ryan, he's in Nashville. He's an incredible songwriter. And he he described it beautifully. He said, Natalie, it's almost like we've created a worship pornography mm. for this generation where we put on display what's happening in our houses. And then other people can peer in and they see how another bride has something better or bigger or more elaborate. And we start to covet another bride. When God has already entrusted us with the bride that he wants for us and we become discontent and then we start wanting what other people have rather than stewarding what God has given us. Mm -hmm. And I think that was so convicting to me because I'm guilty of that growing up in Mm -hmm. the late 90s, early 2000s, where all of a sudden our worship is put on display on YouTube and Facebook and something that was so private and intimate became um, a commodity. It, be, it became sellable. And I remember being jealous. I remember wanting what my friends had in the bigger cities. Um, and it takes the joy out of what we are doing in our own homes. And that is what I really am hoping we can start to kind of backpedal on. Yeah. It's really just celebrating where we are in the moment rather than mm-hmm. wanting what's coming down the road. Yeah. That's the whole heart behind this podcast. And the more than a worship leader concept is just being more than all that, the, yeah. uh, the celebrity bigness stuff. Now that said, you're at a church right now that if I'm being honest in, in, in my years, I have coveted at times, you know, I've looked at it on YouTube and from afar and go, man, the worship culture at new life, that's incredible. So yeah. tell, tell us about your journey to new life and where you're at now. New life is, you're right. What you see is true. Um, John Egan, Pastor John Egan has been there for about 25 years. Glenn Packiam, um, you know, we have an incredible team. We have Micah Massey there now from 10,000 Fathers. And um, he wrote, your presence is heaven to me. But despite all of their successes, the worship culture at New Life is a beautiful culture. And it's one that has been cultivated out of pain. If you know the history of New Life and you can see that there is a spirit of longevity in that house where people um, there are very committed to um, the people of God and they're also committed to the city. And so what you see is is true and coming into it, you know, being a 38 year old female, I knew that my role there as a worship leader would probably be a little bit shorter because women, and this is another podcast probably, But women have a different um, longevity cycle in worship than men, whether we like it or not. It's very rare to see a woman in her mid-40s still leading worship. Usually we age out into another area of the church, and it's a very sad reality for us. Um, And so we almost have to have a backup plan. It's almost like if I'm not leading worship, what's my second favorite thing to do in the church? And this is why I teach so heavily in the Raised to Stay community about not being a one-trick pony for God. 
because he has given us more tools in our tool belt than just one thing. But as worship leaders, I think it's really easy for us to hold on to our microphone and be like, I'm not going anywhere. This is what I do. And it becomes an identity. And for me, it had become an identity. I felt very proud that God had brought me to new life that I was on that team with these incredible men that I got to be trusted with this congregation. And about two years in that was taken. That was um, a conversation that was really hard. It's like, we see this other thing in you. We want to move you into more of a teaching and writing capacity. And I fought it. I fought it so hard because my identity was so wrapped up in being a worship leader. And I just felt God asked me, are you okay? If I, take this from you? Or are you going to make me pry it from your cold, dead hands? And I will tell you that I about made him pry it from my cold, dead hands. I remember sitting in this office way down the hall, all by myself in transition away from my worship friends and journaling that day. Like, God, I'm kind of done. Like, I feel like you bait and switched me. I feel like you dangled this carrot in front of me of like, I'm going to live my best worship dreams. And then it just was taken. And it was a year of wrestling with the Lord as I moved into women's ministry and really fought that because I did not want to be a women's pastor. Um, And so now, you know, I look back on that and I see the goodness of God in that he has been so gracious to me. And had I held on to worship, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, which is running a ministry called Raise This Day, running women's ministry at New Life that is thriving and healthy and so abundant. And I learned a huge lesson that God will always change his method and how he uses his people, not to bait and switch us, but to confuse an enemy who is hellbent on on destroying the church. And he needed me to not be a one trick pony. He needed me to use other tools in my tool belt. And uh, three years later, here we are. And it's still terrifying because I'm still more comfortable leading worship than I am speaking. Um, but he's entrusted it to me. So that's where we are now. (laughs) That's so great. This is the third episode of the more than a worship leader podcast. And this topic of identity keeps popping up because I think it is a big issue. So thanks for speaking into that. And you, you do have more tools at at your disposal to, for the kingdom of God. And so I'm excited. It's our last few minutes here to talk about what is going on right now. And it's, it's really cool to watch. Uh, from a distance, this whole move, it's, I think it's a movement called Raise to Stay. So yeah, let, let's talk about that. It was in that season of feeling bait and switch that I told the Lord, I was 40. I said, Lord, if this is it, I kind of want to quit. I feel like 40 years is a good, healthy, holy number to tap out on. Um, I have a degree. I can teach. I can be a personal trainer. I don't need to be in ministry anymore. And it was in June of 2019 that I kind of threw that fleece out. Like I'm, I'm, I'm done. And on that walk that summer day, I audibly heard the phrase in my head as I was praying raised to stay. And I just start bawling, you know, it's like a crazy woman on the sidewalk. I just start crying and I take the dog and I run home and I Google raised to stay. And there was nothing, there was nothing called that. And I just felt like the Lord said, I had to bring you to the end of yourself so that I could really begin. If I got you to the point where you were just depleted and you were just done, then I could have space to show you what I really created you to do. And worship will always be in that tool belt. But what I want you to do is I want you to be 
a voice for the church. And I want you to say, look, we're all going to want to quit a little bit of every day, but here's why we stay. We stay because of Jesus. We stay for the joy set before us. And so I, I sat down and I don't know what made me do this. It had to be the Lord, but I wrote in Canva the, um, you know, you can make little sayings and quotes there. I found this black box with white writing that I liked. And I posted my first black box that said, the church did not hurt you. A few broken people did. Don't give up. You were raised to stay. And I hashtagged raised to stay. And I threw it up on my Instagram. And that was the beginning. That was the beginning. And it just ended up um, being now where we are. I had about 1,200 people who followed with me for about two years. And then last year, I signed a book deal with David C. Cook. And just in the last three months, we have grown to 60,000 people in the Raise the State community. And we are a movement. We really are stayers. I don't call them my followers. I call them my stayers. And we are a committed group of people who are committed to asking hard questions, admitting that we want to quit, and but resolving that we're going to stay and that we're going to do it together. And it has been an incredible experience. I get to go to churches all over. I'm starting to go now more global and just really remind us that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it to the very end, not halfway, but all the way. And so the book will come out July 4th, and I can't wait to share it. Um, it will be called Raised to Stay. I can't really give much more than that right now, but um, I'm just so excited to share it with all of you guys. Well, congratulations and thank you. Thanks for uh, following that voice of God in your life, being obedient to that, doing something with it and blessing others. I know it's inspiring a lot of people, including my sister-in-law, my wife. I mean, people close to me, it's really cool. And I'm like, oh, she's going to be on my podcast. This is really neat. Um, so that, that I'm I'm really excited for you. It's just, just thrilled to see what's Thank happening. You. Yeah. And I will definitely read that book. I'm very <laughs> excited. My, I was telling my wife about that. I know she'll be excited to read it too. She's a reader as well. So we're, we're stoked about that. I'm going to put in our show notes, the, the website raised to stay so people can follow you. Is there anything else or would that pretty much sum it up? The that and just hang with us in the Instagram community. Yeah. The Instagram community is raised to stay. We also have Facebook communities. Um, I think in the coming year and coming months, we'll probably do some cohorts and different things for people who are just on that place in ministry where they're ready to be done um, for encouragement. And so, yeah, hang on. I think it's going to be a good ride together. All right. I'm going to put you on the spot. As we close off this podcast, is there any chance that I could get you to pull up that Instagram, Raise to Stay? Okay. And would you pull up one of those black box posts, maybe your latest one, and just read it for us? It's I think it'd be cool to hear uh, yeah. your voice uh, in front of your heart behind this. All right. So this one's from October 25th, and this is the heartbeat behind Raise to Stay right here. You'll want to quit a little every day. You will ask the Lord to take the thorn from your flesh to let the cup pass you by. You will ask for the cross to be lighter, the burdens to be lifted, for friends who will tarry with you for just a few minutes longer as you face unimaginable pain, loss, and unknowns. There will be moments you'll be tempted to call down 10,000 angels to your rescue, but you have a Jesus who demonstrated endurance for the joy set before him. And that joy wasn't his own reputation, but our salvation. So watch the Savior closely, eyes up, arms wide, voice strong. In his own betrayal, he was welcoming a thief into his kingdom and his humiliation scorning shame. Oh, hell, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Observe your king. 
who didn't try to save himself, but stayed to save you and me. It was in his resurrection he got up and got out, rolling rocks, shaking ground. You only get an empty tomb if you're willing to be buried. And that's the scary part. Trusting the promise of new life is on the other side of the suffering. I know you're tired. Come all who are weary. I know you are worn. Come all who are heavy laden. Following Jesus comes with a cross but ends in a resurrection. Stay in position. Hold on just one more day. Joy comes in the morning and you're almost through the night. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm so excited for you. Uh, I'm also thankful um, for your passion and for how you're inspiring others. It's, it's just really cool to watch. And I'm also thankful that you might come back on the podcast one day, even if you have a million followers, (laughs) you might, you might be back back on this little podcast. So that, (laughs) that'd be really cool. I'm I'm really thankful. Seriously. Thank you for your time today. I know it's valuable and uh, thanks for sharing your heart and wisdom. Thank you so much, Gary. I I love uh, being in community with you guys. All right. Thanks, Natalie. Take care. Coming out of this conversation, I really meditated on my calling. There's been many times that I've heard God's voice calling me through open doors, and I've never regretted walking through them, even in the scary times. I talk about this in my book. Here's what I said. When God calls you to do something, you can do it with confidence. Don't let your fear of the unknown scare you away from knowing the blessings of God. If he's called you to do something more, he's also put a desire into your heart. He will give you everything you need. If it's truly for God, it will be of God. After all, he's called us into his work, not our own. Is God calling you to do something? Just go for it. And if you're living out that calling, let me encourage you to keep going and keep doing good. As Natalie has encouraged us, we are raised to stay in this. Right now, hear God's voice in Galatians 6.9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Stay tuned for the next episode of the More Than a Worship Leader podcast. I'd greatly appreciate you subscribing and sharing. Thanks for listening.